somewhere between waking and sleeping. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here, and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door, only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 26 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a weekly podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host Seymour Jacklin. Visit bordersofsleep.com for more information or to leave some feedback. Artwork is by Robin Trainer and production by Tim Wiles. The music for this week's episode is by the inimitable Jelly Roll Morton, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz. So, If you're ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. Michigan Water by Seymour Jackman The cold had set in from October onwards, and by mid-December Harlem was no place for a 50-year-old man with weak lungs and a couple of barely-healed knife wounds. But here he was. This city did its best to remind him of a tomb. The staircases, in particular, loomed at him like the dark passages inside the pyramids of Egypt, and the thought would come to him as he stopped for breath on the way up to his rooms, that he might never make it. Of course it was nonsense, a trick of the cold. The last few recording sessions had gone well, Some of the old boys from New Orleans had turned up on the dates as if the last fifteen years had never happened, and every night there'd been a journalist waiting to speak to him. He was coming back. Still, his body was whispering intimations of mortality whenever he found himself alone with it. When he got back to his rooms he didn't trouble to put any lights on. There was moonlight and streetlight enough, reflecting off the snow and dispersing through the windows. As he hung up his coat, a tiny clock in the hallway gave a single chime for half-past three in the morning. The wind sucked at the edges of the window frames like a bluesman drawing hard on a harp, but his ears were still ringing from the raucous Long Island jam session he'd been sitting in on for the third night in a row. Good old New York, it's never dull, he sung to himself, and went to stand at the window. A car was carefully nosing its way up the icy street outside. The snow had stopped falling. This was as quiet as this neighbourhood ever got. As he leant against the window frame with his good shoulder, two tiny stars appeared in the room. One, the glint from the last remaining diamond in his teeth, and the other, pulsing slowly, was the slippery reflection of the moon on his shoes as he tapped his foot to something that was playing in his head. Yes, this was the easy rhythm that he returned to, as to a chorus, no matter where he strayed. You see, in the early days, when his major competitors had depended on playing finger-bustingly fast, he'd figured out you could take it slow and let all the tension grow between the hands. 
leaving it just as late as you dared before you let your fingers tumble back down the scale in thirds and sixths, with a little tinge of Spanish flavour. That was how he had invented jazz. There was no disputing it, and he could prove that everything they had been doing ever since had been stolen from him somehow. Those white boys had ripped him off in Chicago with Wolverine Blues. Benny Goodman was riding to fame on the King Porter Stomp, and now most of the fools believed W.C. Handy when he said that he'd invented the blues. Yeah. Just wait for the next batch of records. He had some new tunes, swing tunes. He was going to be the undisputed king of the keyboard from Michigan to Mississippi once again. He pulled his lips back into a broad grin that creased the heavy lines on his face into sharp relief. He strutted over to the piano, with a slight swagger they used to call shooting the agate. Sitting sideways to it, he let his left hand fall on a couple of chords, then reached up and switched on the table lamp atop of it. Then he swung his legs round and faced the keyboard. As soon as his back was turned to the room, he felt that someone was watching him from the gloom. He swung round again. There was someone standing by the door. No, it was just his coat and cap on the hat stand, but he didn't like it. This was like some voodoo troubling him again, always following him up from the swamps of the south. He was never sure what his old enemies might be up to, and he'd been cursed before back in 31 when Victor dropped him. Something fell inside him like a black stone as he faced the keyboard again. Everyone wanted him to talk about the old days in New Orleans like he was some kind of museum piece. They had to keep reminding him of it. But those memories smelt of sweat and rain and voodoo candle grease, and everyone wanted to dig around in there and stir stuff up that was best left alone. He still felt those eyes on him, and it was as if the blues were howling under the door, but somewhere between these black and white keys was a safe place for his soul. He surveyed them like a general looking over his troops. He was going to march them out like an army and take back what was rightfully his. He might even find a few more diamonds for his teeth in the spoils of war. Give me Dr. Jazz, he said aloud to the piano, and laid his hands gently over the keys, waiting for the music to rise through his capillaries. What was that song that Tony Jackson used to play? Yeah, Michigan Water. Tastes like sherry wine, that was it. He'd cut that record tomorrow, and New York would love him for it. The 4am chiming of the clock was drowned in the chiming of his right hand. Michigan water tastes like sherry wine, mean sherry wine. Oh, the Mississippi water Water tastes like 